Welcome to the BristolCon Fringe, a series of readings from the science fiction and fantasy community. This podcast was recorded in front of a live audience in the centre of Bristol. Okay, um, Jonathan and Bailey, if you'd like to come up and join us, please. Right. Uh, Bailey, if, if I could start with you. I mean, reading your bio and what everything, I gather you've done this film work. Could you tell us a little bit about it, please? Film work? Uh, well, film work, I've really just made one short film. It's a couple of years ago. I entered it into the Bloody Cuts um, horror competition, I think, which is the same one that the Lights Out film, the original short film of that, that was entered as well. I think it came second. Um, but yeah, as, as of now, it's got about half a million views on YouTube, so it's doing quite well. But yeah, it's the first time I sort of made a film, and quite an interesting experience. But so, what, what's your real ambition? Do you want to be a scriptwriter, or would you prefer to write novels? Uh, well, writing novels is something I've done since I was a little kid. So, I, when I was eight years old, I first made a little book. I just stapled some paper together and drew its own pictures and everything, put it on the shelf in the classroom. No one read it. It was about a, um, a man who killed ch- children on their birthdays, so I can't imagine why no one read it, but I enjoyed it. So. I, I think that's, that's something that uh, quite a few of us here can relate to, the, the writing stories when we were still at school. Perhaps not writing stories about serial killers, but... You know. We um, we all have to do something sooner or later like that. Yes. Okay. I'm um, moving on to you, Jonathan. Uh, clearly, you're a, a big fan of of Second World War history. You, it sounded like you had a lot of fun writing that. Yes. Um, well, I'm interested in history in general, but um, World War Two interests me in particular, um, especially the kind of the hidden histories and stuff that's going on with. Um, Intelligence and security. No, so all the stuff with SOE and um, bizarre operations like Operation Mincemeat and what Ian Fleming was doing during the Second War, all this kind of thing. So, yeah. It, it did sound a little bit at the beginning like a Charlie Strauss novel. I'm embarrassed to say I actually read a Charlie Strauss novel. <laughs> but um, in what way, as a matter of interest? Well, the, the the stuff about Secret Service and all that sort of thing, and 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 you know, weaving in real history, and so I think, I think sort of thing that Charlie might have done. I, quite possibly. Um, we, in terms of um, our books, we seem to keep uh, crossing paths here and there. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if we've got quite similar interests in many respects. Okay, so coming back to Bailey now, I, I understand that the novel that you read from is going to be coming out from Unbound, which is a, it, it's a type of crowdfunding publishing system, as I understand it. So um, what, what made you go for that rather than try to sell it through traditional routes? It was really just a, a spur-of-the-moment thing. Someone recommended it to me, and just on the off chance, I thought I would apply for it. I mean, it, it seems slightly different and because of that, I figured, oh, maybe I have a, more of a chance with something going in this direction than I would a traditional publisher. Um, 
yeah, this seems to seem to have worked. So, yeah, it's a, just a new way of doing things, and I quite like that. Um, by a small coincidence, I have a, a middle grade novel which is um, and in the process of negotiating that with Unbound at the model, moment as well. So that's. Uh, that's a very heavy fantasy and a kind of thing, but um, yeah, middle grade aimed at um, well, stage before young adult. Would all this be something to do with the fact that Simon Spanton has left Galantz and is now working for Unbound? No, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was more a case of um, uh, I ran it past my agent, and he went. He really liked the book, but he couldn't see normal publishers being interested, where it's um, unbound, given that I already have a readership, and they might be interested in um, picking up a thing like that. It could work out with unbound. So um, that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit in the air at the moment, because um, I've had my attention on other things, but I'll be going back to that, and then luck it'll happen. Yeah, I think the good thing about unbound is they're more likely to take risks with the novels that they they have just because you are doing the crowdfunding you're crowdfunding for the production costs so there's not quite as much of a risk on their end so they're more willing to take different types of novels into their lists very true i, I asked that question partially because i know that farah mendelson was publishing her Heinland book through unbound precisely through a connection with simon um, but also because you know that having a very high profile science fiction and fantasy editor there i thought perhaps might make them a little bit more sympathetic to our cause than, than other people anyway um back to the uh, the subject of tonight uh, you're you're both horror writers um, I'm not. I'm very squeamish. I don't like reading that nasty stuff. So what what attracts you to doing this stuff? Well, it started when I was, a, like I said, a kid. Um, rather than normal books, I was given Stephen King books, and my mother's looking very awkwardly away from me at the moment. <laughs> but I read, I think, my first Stephen King book when I was 10 or 11. So it's something I've always grown up with, and eventually it's just it's become something that I just... Is part of me, I suppose. It's just, I love horror. It's, it's just something I love. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't actually tend to write much in the way of uh, blood and guts. It's more from the point of view of, I just like odd things and bizarreness. So I've been fascinated by horror since I was a kid. But if you look at my other stuff, I write fantasy, I write science fiction, I write a bit of crime, I write a bit of everything. It's just whatever appeals. Okay, so we now know that Bailey has the best mum in the world. <laughs> I mean, if, if you want your child to grow up to be a writer, giving them Stephen King novels is a pretty good way to start off, actually. I mean, and if, if that means they end up being a horror writer, well, so be it. And, so, um, and yes, I, I entirely appreciate it, Jonathan. I mean, I, I write um, Full Who Mythos stories as well, so um, I, I, you're not, definitely not a, a blood and guts person. But um, Bailey, are you a blood and guts person? Is, is that what, what you really like about it? Not really. I, I like the, um, the atmosphere and the, the slow dread. I mean, I'm not adverse to blood and guts. I tend to slatter in here and there. There's a, a lovely part of my novel that involves a um, infected foot that is squeezed by some rope until it bursts. But um, <laughs> I, I tend to, <laughs> to not use too much of that. I tend to use it more as effect every now and then. 
Well, there, there is very much in, in both of the things that you read this this creeping dread thing. I mean, Bailey, you've got the the central character tied up, and I remember last year when we had Tim Leban to to read. I think it was Tim that the, the, again we had the character tied up and being tortured. And with Jonathan, your, yours, of course. I think we did. We all knew what was going to happen, didn't we? We could all see that coming. I was rather disappointed in the the Kremlin apparatchiks that they didn't like twig, but it it would have been too late anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the, we could all see it happening, and that was the effect, right? Well, yes. Um, if the aircraft had been carrying conventional explosives, it would have been impractical. It wouldn't have worked. Um, but the fact that it's carrying an atomic device, which is completely unknown at that point, that's what makes the plan work. So yes, the, the Politburo has no way of suspecting that D2600 is actually an assassination. Right, okay. So, obviously, some of the people here, or indeed listening on the podcast, might not have read the first book, um, and therefore won't quite know how the world ended. So, could you, like, just for the benefit of people who don't know, fill us in on who Carter and Lovecraft are? Ooh, spoilers. Okay, um... Right, yes. In the first book, we're introduced to uh, Daniel Carter and Emily Lovecraft. And as the book worms along its way, we discover that um, Emily Lovecraft is the great, 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 I think it is, niece of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, And Daniel Carter, slightly bizarrely, is a descendant of a fictional character of Lovecraft's, at least... In our world, he will be a fictional character. But it turns out that Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft's creations and reality are actually pretty much the same thing. And this world that we're in now is a sort of printed through photocopy almost of, of the true reality, which unfortunately is what Lovecraft described. It's the world with deep ones and great old ones and Cthulhu lurking somewhere out there. And Dan Carter, of course, has also uh, fly half for the All Blacks for a long time. Fabulous rugby player, but I don't think it's That's the same. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a different dimension entirely. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bailey, have you ever been tempted to write Cthulhu Mythos stuff, or do you do a different type of horror? Uh, well, I, I haven't ever written anything specifically Lovecraft, but I do love the Lovecraftian style and the, the sense that there's something lurking perhaps under the ocean or something that our minds just can't comprehend. I recently wrote a short story with similar vibes that um, was published in a short anthology and that was about a, a drain that suddenly appears in someone's living room. So I do quite like Lovecraftian horror. I like the style of it. But I've never written anything specifically from the Cthulhu mythos or anything like that. Just on that subject, um, last week I was in Bath for a reading by the great M. John Harrison, who has a a new short story collection being launched. And he was talking about the novel that he's working on, which he says includes fish people. Fish people living in England who want to take over. So, I mean, knowing Mike, it's going to be nothing like Deep Ones, but everything like Deep Ones, and it's all going to be very, very strange. And I'm definitely looking forward to that. 
Um, so yeah, more deep ones, please. Okay, so anybody in the audience? We haven't got Justin with us today, so somebody else is going to have to step up to the plate. Does anybody want to ask a question of our readers? <laughs> yeah, that won't that won't have come out on the uh, the recording. But Gareth has just said that he spent an hour asking Jonathan questions at BristolCon because Jonathan was one of our guests of honor, and Gareth did the guest of honor interview. But I wasn't there. I had to be in Italy, so <laughs> so I I didn't get to hear you ask Jonathan any questions. Some of the other people weren't here either, or you could ask him a different one. <laughs> Yes, Bristol Con has disappeared in an alcoholic haze for everybody. I said it always does, that's what's so great about it. It certainly is, yeah. Okay, so it's going to be down to me to, to ask new questions. Um, so, um, Jonathan, you were mentioning that you have this middle grade novel coming out. Is, is there anything you can tell us about at the moment? Well, it's still in negotiation with Unbound at the moment, but it's, um, in essence, it's it was triggered by when my daughter was younger she used to read um a series of books about fairies and the sheer leaden hand of them and the way that they handled folklore irritated me so i thought wouldn't it be better if somebody had to go writing a middle grade book which actually has proper folklore in it including the scary bits so that's what I wrote. And uh, with any luck, I'm bound to pick it up. So uh, fingers crossed. And before you know it, you'll be the next R.L. Stein. I wouldn't mind that kind of money, no. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Has anybody seen the trailers for the new season of The Magicians? Uh, check it out. It's awesome. Yay. Bailey, have you got anything else that you're working on? Uh, well, I'm partway through writing a new novel at the minute but I'm when I say partway through I mean about 10,000 words so it's only the very beginning um it's about a um a child that disappears but comes back slightly changed and the parents aren't quite sure if he is who he says he is but it, everything could be changed at this point so is that another fairy changeling novel then uh, kind of yeah changelings did influence me a little bit. Them and um, ghouls, I like the idea of ghouls and something that feasts on humans perhaps. I might add that in somewhere, but I'm still working on it, so. Jonathan, any news of our favorite Mancunian superheroes? <laughs> Goon Squad, um, not at the moment. Um, they've gone a little bit on the back burner just because I've been so busy with other stuff over the past uh, few months, but I'd love to do more Goon Squad. Um, or maybe pitch the first year of Goon Squad as a, a novel. I mean, it's comfortably about 100,000 words of it. My main thing at the moment is um, I'm working on a novel about a Victorian master criminal, which, please God, I finish before the end of the year because it's been dragging on a little bit now. And the other thing is that uh, before I was a novelist, I was a game designer. And I'm currently working with an Australian company on a 90s-style point-and-click adventure game, which is just chock-a-block with zombies in Britain. 
So, um, yes, and it's a kind of road story as well. So it starts off in the west and heads towards London and does take in Bristol, unsurprisingly. Do you destroy Cabot Circus? Not on this occasion. I'm going to destroy Cabot Circus in Goon Squad if I get the chance. Uh, in this particular case, a great chunk of it happens up in um, Clifton. Um, maybe a little bit further down into the city, but um, mainly up in Clifton. So this may be the first and quite conceivably the last zombie story which ever actually starts out in Western Supermare. Yeah, Western Supermare is a zombie story. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. Grace, you've got a, a question. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the microphone. Hello. Um, I don't write... <laughs> I don't write science fiction, but I'm interested in um, sort of how you create your story worlds and how you can future-proof, if you like, your story worlds, because obviously technology is moving so fast, so how do you sort of um, create realistic worlds which um, aren't going to be sort of superseded by technology? You write steampunk. Oh, well, yes, to an extent. Um, you either put it... Um, in the far future and make up your technologies which are comfortably beyond anything anybody's likely to be coming up with in the near future um, or you set it uh, with current technologies and different interpretations of what they might be or you set them in the past and the way that technologies might have gone which is essentially steampunk um, if you want to set stuff about now-ish sort of 10 minutes into the future um, I'm minded of um, the work of Tim Morn who writes the closest future cyberpunk I've ever seen, which is almost literally half an hour into the future. In fact, he's, he's to an extent, he's given up doing those short stories because every time he writes one, by the time it's published, it's happened. Um, uh, him, he, he's based out in New York these days, but um, he was based in Bristol. And so you've got these strange kind of near-future stories taking paintworks out at um, Totterdown and things like this. Um, but for me, uh, the science fiction I tend to set in the far future. Uh, so you can have technologies which are theoretical at the moment, but they're not going to be happening anytime soon. Stuff like um, artificial intelligences and gravitics and, um, well, fast and light travel, things like that, you can get away with comfortably into Star Trek territory. Um, Tim, of course, did famously destroy Cabot Circus in one of his short stories, and I'm pleased to report I saw on Twitter the other day that he has just sold a novel, so that will that will be coming out soon. Uh, very much looking forward to that. I mean, it's just a shame we can't get him back here from New York to, to come and do a reading. Uh, Bailey, ever been tempted to write science fiction? I don't write by hard science fiction. I like taking elements of it and adding it to horror a bit like um, the original, like Frankenstein. That's a, like a perfect merger of science fiction and horror. So that type of science fiction I love. And I like, I mean, my novel at the minute has elements of science fiction, but I think pure science fiction is just a bit beyond me. I think I would just be so bogged down with technology and trying to create such a huge world that I'm not sure that I'd be able to. So I really am jealous of people who are able to do such a thing. And on the subject of the far future, Gareth, I understand the proofs of Embers of War are available now, so publication can't be that far off. Can you fill us in, please? Um, yeah, um, 
Embers of War is coming out from Titan Books on the 20th of February, 2018. Uh, as you say, review copies are out at the moment and the feedback is dribbling in, so it's the first of a trilogy. I'm currently writing the third in the trilogy. So all three books are definitely coming out, so don't wait till they, all three come out to buy the first one. Buy it now. Uh, and presumably you'll be here to read at Fringe sometime in yeah. Feb- Feb- February? <laughs> yes, February. Jolly good. Okay. Has anybody else thought of any questions yet? Yay. Gareth and then Tom. Um, who would win in a fight between Cthulhu and Godzilla? Cthulhu. Because the whole thing said Godzilla's a creature and Cthulhu's a god. Um, and as has been pointed out, if you, what happens if you hit Cthulhu with an atomic weapon? A couple of days later, he reforms, and now he's radioactive. So yeah, I'm afraid it's bound to be Cthulhu. Yeah, I mean, just by pure size, all I can picture in my head is poor little Godzilla stood there as Cthulhu just like flattens him as he walks. I'd go for Cthulhu anyway. (laughs) I'm going to go for Godzilla. First of all, because Cthulhu can't wake up until the stars are right, so he can't fight back. And secondly, because iguanas are very fond of squid and Godzilla has a big appetite. Tom. I was just wondering who you're uh, reading at the moment. Are there any authors that you both are enjoying and would like to champion? I'm reading Hex at the minute by an author whose name I can't pronounce. Um, um, It's a brilliant novel. It's sort of a strange type of horror in that the horror is completely accepted and commonplace and it's about how the townsfolk react to that in in their everyday lives. So I I find it really interesting. Um, I'm slightly embarrassed because I reading almost nothing but factual stuff these days. However, I am reading a little fiction, and what I'm reading at the moment is the new Francis Harding. Um, Francis Harding can make um, a shopping list fascinating, so um, yes, that's what I'm reading at the moment. She hardly needs championing to be dead honest. Yes, for the benefit of Tom, when he's editing the podcast, the, the author of Hex is Thomas Olde Oefeld. He's Dutch. Uh, what I'm reading, uh, as people may know, I'm on the Tiptree jury at the moment, so I keep getting sent free books, which is great. And I'm reading this, Her Body and Other Parties, by Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, it's a collection of short stories, and they appear, at least as far as I've got at the moment, to all be about celebration of the female body and, and sex in some way, which is doubtless why I've been sent it for the trip tree. But the, the prose in this is absolutely spectacular, and I believe it's on the long list for the National Book Award, which is a sort of American version of the, the Booker Prize. So, um, certainly enjoying it so far. Anybody else got any questions? No. Okay. In which case, do we have any announcements? Pete Sutton isn't here. Joe isn't here. I don't have any books coming out. Oh, actually, um, um, I do have short stories and um, a couple of collections that are coming out next year, which is I've got a short story in a Blake 7 collection. Oh, yeah, Blake 7. <laughs> and I've got a short story in a um, thing that's uh, Abaddon, is publishing to support rebellions, 
Oh, gosh, I've forgotten the name of the flipping game. Strange Brigade, it came to me. Right, yes, the game is called Strange Brigade, and they, Abaddon are publishing a collection of short stories which are about the individual members of the Strange Brigade who are playable characters in the game when it comes out. So that was actually pretty good fun. Okay, anybody else got any announcements of exciting things? Tom? Nothing major, just to say that we're taking December off. So uh, the, as uh, we've said before, this is the last one of the year. Uh, we will be back in January with uh, Lucy Hansen, uh, who will be uh, reading from her last uh, book in her World Builder series. Uh, that will be the third Monday in January 2018. And there's a few other little changes behind the scenes, but we'll uh, announce those online. But uh, just uh, like our Facebook page, uh, BristolCon Fringe, or follow us on Twitter, at BrizCon Fringe, and uh, look forward to the news, is all I'll say for now. Uh, that reminds me that there was a new issue of Tea and Jeopardy, your Hugo Award-winning local podcast issued today. It features an interview with our very own Lucy Hansen, so poor Lucy is going to be subjected to some mild peril and having to drink cups of tea. Horror. <laughs> Tom. That's one thing we haven't said on the podcast. We do have to thank the uh, our alumni now, uh, G.V. Anderson, for uh, winning the World Fantasy Award uh, for new story uh, for her first published story, um, and uh, she actually got it. Oh, yeah. So um, yes, uh, we shall definitely be having her back on in the new year, telling us about her adventures in Texas. But uh, it was uh, great to hear that she won. Uh, yes, for those of you who missed it, I had her on my radio show last week. Uh, so yeah, Gemma did indeed win the World Fantasy Award for the story that she read here uh, and, uh, and had a fabulous time in Texas and, and met a whole bunch of people and whatever. So uh, that's probably still available online and um, when it isn't, I'll stick it up on Salon Futura. Uh, also, congratulations to my good friend Terry Thompson who recently won the, the Nomo Award, that uh, for best novel that comes from the African Speculative Fiction Society um, so that's continental level award for all countries in Africa and the African diaspora so that's, that's quite an achievement for Tade there the novel is called Rosewater it's originally out from Apex and uh, off the back of that win the, uh, a trilogy has been picked up by Orbit so Rosewater and two following books which is great news lots of awards making people happy good Anybody else got any announcements? In which case, I do believe we're done. Thank you, everybody. Have a happy Christmas. Or Saturnalia, or whatever else uh, you... Uh, whatever full-who cultists celebrate. I don't know. Good night. The Bristol Con Fringe is a monthly podcast produced by the Bristol Con Foundation. The music at the beginning of this podcast is The Future by Chevy174. We'd like to thank the famous Royal Navy Volunteer for providing us with a venue, and we'd like to thank you for listening. If you would like to keep up to date with our events, please like our Bristol Con Fringe page on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at BrizConFringe.